You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Oh, no. Well, man, I love you too. Thank the Lord for you, and I want to welcome all of you that are worshiping right here in the cameo, those online, and some of you who are over next door in the cafe, and if you've been here, you know that we started last week a series on spiritual warfare, and we've become concerned with the increase of satanic activity in our country. In fact, it's even come to the attention of popular podcaster Joe Rogan, who's concerned about the rise of Satanism in our country. If you want to see more of what Rogan said about it, you can look at the Ruslan Katie YouTube channel and see commentary on Rogan's comments on this. But last week, I told you that we found some unusual writing on one of our buildings here, found out that it was a satanic curse placed upon our little church down here. And that's actually not something new. I mean, we had to pray it away and remove it and all that, but it's not something new. In fact, a few years ago, we had a witch literally come into our services trying to cast spells on people in the service. And so we had to deal with that one as well. And I thought to myself, what is it about this little church? How come, you know, so many Satanists come against us? We're just trying to worship the Lord here. Well, because the enemy knows we're here, right on. And that's kind of a compliment to me. Is it to you? You know, so um, the enemy knows what God is doing here that is so significant in your lives. And most of the spiritual battles that we're dealing with are not so overt as they are covert. They're like these uh, small things that affect your job in the spiritual realm or might affect your relationships or your physical or your emotional well-being. And so hang with me through the whole teaching today as we explore the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Now, last week, a lot of us made a commitment to eight weeks of warfare. A lot of you raised your hands to say, I'm going to commit to eight weeks of warfare. And in case you're new for the first time today, what that means is, is that we're committing ourselves to pray a specific spiritual warfare prayer out loud every single day for the remainder of the series. Now, if you weren't here last week and didn't get that prayer, we've put QR codes up on the stage on your way out uh, where you can hit that QR code with your phone. You can get it digitally. You can print it out and read that prayer out loud. Now, I understand some of you are like me. You like the audio version of this type of thing. So we put the audio version of me praying this prayer out loud on our podcast, our audio podcast. We also have a YouTube video of it. And so if you want to listen to the audio of it when you're in your car on the way to work or while you're taking a run or a jog or working out or whatever, there are multiple different ways for you to engage in the eight weeks of warfare with us. And don't raise your hands on this next part, but how many of you after doing this for a week, things got worse and not better. How many of you had these unusual health problems that hit you or something hit your family or maybe there was some unusual like tension 
in a relationship. Well, that's normal. And uh, I'm sorry I'm smiling about it, but some of you that are new to spiritual warfare, you're like, first time experiencing that. And what I want to encourage you with is a passage from James, where James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He says, look at the last sentence, resist the devil and he'll do what? Flee from you. So Jesus resisted the devil for 40 days in the desert, and eventually the devil would flee from him. And some of you are just starting out, and we're that American culture that likes microwave everything, you know? We want everything fast. But this is one of those areas of life in the spiritual war where you have to stay the course, stay consistent every day for the remainder of the series. And I can guarantee you that those demonic spirits that are coming against you, plaguing you, they will flee from you over time as you stay the course. Now, let me get back to the question of the day. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Now, uh, something that happened to me kind of made me have a mental picture of how this works in the spiritual realm. I used to own a four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee. Anybody own four-wheel drive before? Any of you men? Okay. Any of you ladies? Okay, so... um, I love off-roading. And, you know, even though my Cherokee wasn't like a monster truck or anything, at least it had four-wheel drive, and I would take friends off-roading at the hill country rivers and streams and such. So one day, I I used to do college ministry. I took a group of college students uh, off-roading at a hill country river. We went like a mile off-road down the river. You know, sometimes when the river was shallow, we could cross over the river, you know, and keep going down the river and all this. Well... Anyways, we'd gone like a mile off-road, and we parked the Jeep. We got out, jumped in the water to cool off. We were swimming around out in the water, and we swam like another quarter mile past where the Jeep was parked. And one of the college students, his name is Vaughn, he said, Hey, Doug, you know, why don't you let me run back to where the Jeep is and drive it back here to where everyone is so that we don't have to walk all the way back to the Jeep? And in a weak moment... I said, okay, Vaughn, that'd be cool. And so I tossed him my keys. And you know, like, my keys were midair. And I thought to myself, what did you just do? You just handed over your keys to a college student. And that's not always such a great idea. And about a half hour later, Vaughn comes jogging back. You know, he's like, "Uh, Doug, I think we have a problem back here. And I'm like, what's going on, Vaughn? What happened, dude? And he's like, "Uh, well, you know, your your Jeep kind of got stuck. And, And so all of us went back to where the Jeep was. And I found my prized four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee in the middle of the river, buried up to its axles down in all this loose gravel and stuff. So we literally spent four hours digging that thing out and we had to take like flat rocks and put it behind it, you know, to make, build a road to get that thing out of there and guys were pushing and stuff like that trying to get it out. So finally we got out of there. But let me ask you some questions about my little encounter. First question is, who owned that Jeep? I did. Who had the keys to the Jeep when it got stuck? The satanic college student, right? (laughs) Now, in real life, Vaughn's a super awesome guy, you know. But look, here's the third question Who gave him the keys? I did didn't I? I gave him the keys. And can I ask you, have you ever given the keys of your life 
over to an evil spirit, a demon that got you spiritually stuck. Somebody's like, yeah, my ex-husband, my ex-wife. <laughs> kidding, not kidding, <laughs> kidding. So what I want to ask you to do now is go ahead and get your keys out, if you would, for this next part, because we're going to make a declaration together today, and we'll put the declaration on the screen. You know, the, the declaration is basically, I'm taking back my keys, is what we're going to say. Now, what I want you to do when you say that declaration that's up on the screen uh, is I want you to shake your keys a little bit when you say it. So you guys ready for this? When I point to you on three, one, two, three, I'm taking back my keys. Good. Let's say it one more time just with a little more attitude. Ready? Here we go. I'm taking back my keys, you know, and what you did is you just made a spiritual warfare declaration that you're telling the enemy, you're not keeping my keys. You're not keeping me stuck back in the river, but I'm straight up taking them back my keys. So in case you're new to uh, church and the idea of a spiritual realm, we don't say that there's like a chocolate demon and a coffee demon, and those things are clearly of the Lord, right? But um, we also don't claim that there's a demon behind every bush or behind every problem in our lives. So uh, the majority of our dealings with the demonic don't involve strange manifestations like on those movies, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist or a presidential debate in America, okay? So it, it would be um, more covert than that. And I saw a quote years ago from the great C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters book, and I thought it was a really great quote that helps us think about spiritual warfare. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. See, Now, most people in America fall for the first error in disbelieving in the existence of a spiritual realm and demons. And I was helped by the late pastor and author Tim Keller on this issue. He says that the reason a lot of Americans and people in Western culture civilizations like Western Europe and the United States do not believe in these types of things is we're deceived by our education levels and our cultural refinement. Uh, he would say, we think that we have a natural scientific cause for everything because we're all Western naturalists. Now, we love science around here at the church, and certainly Christians have been involved in some significant science in the world, but what we tend to do is give a psychological diagnosis for all evil, and certainly there are psychological elements to it, but we say everything is either behaviorism or just bad psychological adjustment. But that explanation for the evil we see in our world is wearing thin because we see things in past history like the Holocaust of millions of Jews being killed, murdered. We see things like the school shootings in this country and we call it just bad psychological adjustment. No, it is pure evil. Let me illustrate this. Some of you have seen that old movie, Silence of the Lambs, starring Jodie Foster as 
Officer Starling, and then, of course, Anthony Hopkins played the evil Hannibal Lecter. And uh, Officer Starling says, what happened to him to make him so twisted? And then Anthony Hopkins, you know, in that spooky way that only he could do, he's like, Officer Starling, nothing happened to me. I happen. You cannot reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Look at me. Can you stand to say I am evil? Evil exists in the world, and the modern person has no answer for the monster's question. There's evil that animates the atrocities of our world. And look, I want you to consider that just maybe there are people in other parts of the world that has some wisdom and knowledge about things that we're not educated on in this country. When you go to South and Central America or you go to the African countries or you go to part, certain parts of Asia, they have no problem in dealing or believing in a spiritual realm and demons as they would describe them. And what makes us think that we're smarter and no more than other people in other parts of the world just because of our cultural refinement and education in this country. Look, if you go back to one of the most educated societies and cultures in modern history, it was in Germany where the death camps of the Nazis happened. Did you catch that? Even in my realm of theology... When I went through seminary, we studied the great German theologians, and that is where some of the greatest evil came from, is one of the most educated societies in modern history. And you know, no matter how educated our culture is, just this year in Boston, there was an event called SatanCon in which uh, Satanists gathered from all of this country. It was the largest gathering of Satanists in the history of this country. And don't come at me with the old line, well, Satanists don't really believe there's a Satan. They don't really believe in anything because I've talked to ex-Satanists who come to faith in Jesus and they're told to tell you that to win public opinion. And furthermore, if someone's naive enough to get into Satanism and may not believe in a Satan to begin with, then you get further into it and you realize, oh, there's something very real and dark in the midst of this form of spirituality. And could it be that people who say that there's no spiritual realm and no real demon spirits, could you be handing the keys of your intellect over to something more nefarious? And I like the quote from Kaiser Soze from that movie, you know, The Usual Suspects. He says, the greatest trick of the devil that ever pulled, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think that's true. Now, back to our question of can a Christian be demon-possessed? I want to show you three terms, and these three terms are going to be the outline for our conversation today. Here's number one, um, demon-possessed. What demon-possessed means, who owns the Jeep? That has to do with ownership. Number two is demonized. That has to do with control. Who has the keys to the Jeep at a given time? And then number three 
is the term demon oppressed. That has to do with aggravation and harassment. So that's someone outside the Jeep throwing rocks at the Jeep who does not have the keys to the Jeep. Does that make sense? So let's break down each one of these and let's go back to number one. Um, can a Christian be demon possessed? That has to do with ownership. And what I want to suggest to you today is the answer to that question is no. A believer is owned by God. A Christian believer who has come to faith in Jesus and said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin is now owned by God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look at verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Does that make sense? Believers are owned by God. And my little analogy of the Jeep kind of breaks down at this point because I don't own the Jeep. God owns the Jeep when I believe in him. It's kind of like with my kids, you know, at first when they got a car, they didn't own their car. Eyes are their pop and I own their car and they got to drive the car. And so our bodies are not even our own. They belong to God. But look at number two. Um, can a Christian be demonized? That is, can a Christian give the keys over control to a demon spirit? And some of you are not going to like my answer to this one, but I believe the answer to that question is yes. I believe that um, Christians can be demonized. In fact, if you read the Greek New Testament, there is no demon-possessed there, if you do a literal rendering of the Greek there. The Greek will say someone has a demon or someone is demonized. So when you read those stories about Jesus casting out demons or the disciples casting out demons, those people were not demon-possessed. The literal language would be demonized. And there are some old translations that actually put demon-possessed in there that we would today believe to be an inaccurate transition. Now, this is where some believers that I love and respect and some scholars and other pastors would disagree with me. They would say that I'm interpreting the text according to my experiences. Um, and I would say they're interpreting the text according to their lack of experiences in this. And my view on this issue changed some years ago when I started seeing these things happen. And I didn't ask for it to happen. It just started happening. And the things that were in the Bible started taking place. And I don't consider myself to be an expert in this area of demon possession or what's called deliverance ministry or freedom ministry. But I have seen it happen uh, a fair number of times over the years. And if you want to look deeper into this, there are a group of younger pastors who have really gotten into this and are making quite a splash on YouTube, they're known as the demon slayers. And it would be pastors like Vlad Sovchak and uh, Isaiah Saldivar and, you know, others. If you want to look at their YouTube channels, then that might be something that's kind of interesting for you if you want to go deeper into this type of teaching. But I believe Christians can be influenced by demons to the point that the demon can manipulate the mind, the physical body, and literally manifest in and through the person. Now, some people would say, the people that would disagree with me, they would say that God and the devil can't be in the same space. But if you look at the Old Testament story of Job, the devil was actually able to come into the same space as God 
to ask permission from God to harass Job. You follow me? And then from there, if you continued looking in the Bible, you would see that Peter tried to influence Jesus not to go to the cross and die for our sins. And look at Jesus' response to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. It says there, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, who? Satan. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then if you studied further in the New Testament, you would see the New Testament book of Ephesians. Now, I want to ask you a question about the book of Ephesians. Those of you that have read your Bibles and New Testaments. Was Ephesians written to unbelievers or believers? It was written to believers. Christian believers is who it was written to. Let me show you a text from Ephesians. It was written to these believers. Chapter 4, verse 25. It says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we all are parts of the same body. Body language is the language of the Christian body. We're all, you know, one guy's a, you know, an arm, one guy's a finger, one, one lady's a, you know, a foot or a, you know, a leg or whatever. We're all different parts of the same body in Christ. But it goes on to say, don't sin by letting anger do what? Control you. There could be like a spirit of anger that controls you. And then it goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to who? The devil. And those of you that have done rock climbing at all know that a climber gets his foot in the space of the rock, in the little cleft there. And the devil does the same. I think the devil's control of people can range anywhere from a foothold to a stronghold inside of a person. Now let's study further and make our way to the book of Acts. And there was a Christian couple and their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira were this Christian couple and they made a financial commitment to their church and they didn't fulfill it. And look at what Peter says in Acts chapter five, verse three. Then Peter said to the husband, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Here's a Christian guy and he let Satan fill his heart. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. See? So then these people experienced a pretty significant consequence for lying to the Holy Spirit there. And, you know, it makes me want to make sure I keep all my financial commitments that I make to my church, right? See how I just did that right there? See how that works? But um, look, those who don't believe Christians can be demonized would ask me the question, how can the Holy Spirit dwell in the same person where a demon dwells? Well, I would ask this question, how can the Holy Spirit live in someone who sins, where sin dwells? And I think all of us who are believers would admit that after we were Christians, we have made mistakes and sinned, right? And so it's kind of the same thing like when someone's acting up in your car, you're both in the same car and your kids may be carrying on in the back seat and you have to deal with them or whatever. In the same way, I believe that the Holy Spirit can be in the same person where a demon takes control. A person is demonized. And here's what I've seen happen 
over the years is that a person will invite Jesus into their life. And when, when someone believes in Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills them. And that's what loosens up the demons so they can be extracted. Why would the demons be worked up in someone that doesn't believe that's controlled or owned by the devil? They've already got that person, so they're not worried about it. But when you and I come to faith in Jesus, that's when they get disturbed because their ground is being taken by God and by his spirit. And I'm going to tell you a story that's going to be pretty weird for some of you that are new to church, but I just want you to, you know, put on your weirdness seatbelt for just a minute. I used to be a youth pastor, and there was this guy who, uh, and I think I'm probably still a youth pastor just for bigger people, okay? So um, this, this one guy in our youth group, he, uh, he'd come to faith in Jesus. He was a big, muscular high school football player, and he had gone through a significant change spiritually, but after one particular youth group, youth meeting, um, he, he walked up to the front to talk to me. And he had kind of a glazed look in his eye. And he was talking in kind of a strange voice. And so I said, hey man, let's go over to, an, I sensed he might be demonized. So I said, let's go over to a side room because I didn't want him to be embarrassed or objectified in any way in front of his peers, you know, who were in the room and didn't want to make a circus of it or anything. And what, by the way, if you ever end up in that setting, Try to get people away where they don't become a spectacle and it doesn't in any way make the person feel bad, see? Um, so we took him to a separate room and I went with a couple of the, the volunteer leaders in our youth ministry. And this, you know, high school athlete, he starts manifesting these things and speaking in weird voices. And one of them, there were three of them demonizing him. One of them would contort his face in a way, the only way I know how to describe it was it would contort his face to look like the Jack Nicholson Joker in the old Batman movies. It was so bizarre. And we cast all three of them out and this guy walked out happy, free, filled with the joy of the Lord. And I'll never forget one of those volunteers that was helping me, his name was Ryan. And he said, Doug, it's so real. It is real, man. I've never seen this before. It is so real. And one of the things that I've noticed since then is like if they somehow, you know, show up and reveal themselves to you, then they're not so scared to reveal themselves to you in the future. But if you've never seen this type of thing, then they want to keep it under wraps and keep it as secret as possible. But once you open Pandora's box, they know you know about them and they will manifest more easily. But uh, about that story I was just telling you, how was it that these demons got the keys to this young man's life to be able to manifest in and through him. Well, here's what we found out and what was revealed in the midst of our ministry to this young man is that he had gotten involved in steroid use and that was what gave one of them right to him. And another one, he had had sex before he was married outside of God's plan for our life, outside a biblical marriage where, you know, a man and a woman come together. And look, I'm not saying 
that every guy at your gym that's all muscled up and did roids has got a demon that flew into his ear, okay? And I'm also not saying that every one of us here who, you know, struggled and had sex before we were married had a demon, you know, fly up your nostrils or whatever. I don't know how that works. All I do know is that that one kid, that's what happened with him. And when he confessed those sins and he repented of them, we had the power to empower him to cast those things out of his life. And look, as your pastor that loves you, I want to ask you, please, 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 do not hand the keys of your life over to a demon through sexual sin, through white magic. I know it's, they call it white magic as if there's some kind of good witchcraft. There's no good witchcraft. Don't hand the keys over through drugs or porn or rebelliousness or bitterness or the practices of the curanderos. Look, I know your grandma loved you and had a good heart for you when she put the egg under your bed. She didn't know that it's a form of witchcraft. Do not hand over the keys of your life by pride. And that's the one that gets a lot of people is when we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And I saw a business book years ago that really illustrated this for me. It was written by Jim Collins. It's called um, How the Mighty Fall. And he talks about pride in his book as hubris, right? He uses the word hubris. And he's comparing the two consumer electronics big box stores that were really prominent, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and that was Best Buy and Circuit City. Anybody remember Circuit City? What happened to Circuit City? Well, the leaders of Circuit City came to their shareholders, and they had a lot of pride and hubris about their 44% earnings, but they thought they were so good that they could get rid of their qualified sales associates and just hire people that didn't know anything about the products. They thought the products would just sell themselves and, um, and they didn't have the humility to begin to adapt, to carry some of the newer products that were coming into the market, like, I don't know, iPhones, you know, stuff like that. And they started going down and eventually filed for bankruptcy. And look, if we think higher than, of ourselves, if we think that we can't go down, the Bible says, cursed is he who thinks he stands lest he falls. I don't want you to become a spiritual circuit city. I don't want you to go into spiritual bankruptcy by handing over the keys of your life through pride. Now, the demons in our lives come to us in two different ways. They come to us as tempters. Somebody say tempters. And they come to us as accusers. Somebody say accusers. Now, here's the way it works. They come to you as a tempter when you think too much of yourself, when you get filled with pride. And what they want to hide from you is the holiness of God and God's standards of purity that are found in the scriptures, the inspired word of God. See? So they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, look, um, this feels really good. And after all, you're untouchable. You're secure. So there's not going to be any long-term consequences of you doing this sin. Go ahead. Just do it. And look, after all, you've been through a lot in your life. And you deserve a little guilty pleasure here and there. It'll make you feel so much better. And then here's another thing they'll say. They'll say, look... 
Look out there at all those people that don't believe in God, that don't believe in Jesus, don't care anything about church. Look at their Instagram profiles. They're having so much fun out there not following God. Don't you want to be like them? And I think what we know is that they're not having as much fun as their Instagram makes it look like, are they? But see, it's a lie. They're trying to tempt you to do things that are going to bankrupt you in the spiritual realm. They're trying to get your keys. And can I tell you two ways that I see them tempting us these days? Number one is what I'm going to call the spirit of isolation. They want to tempt you to isolate because you've been around people and you're like, how many of you have ever felt, don't raise your hands on this one, but if you ever felt people are just crazy. People these days are just crazy. So I'm just going to hole up in my apartment. I'm just going to stay in my house. I'm not going to grit around other people, you know, because people have problems. I can look at my news apps, you know, if you, you know, and you think everybody's crazy and everybody's messed up. So you don't want to be around people. And then they'll tell you, don't, don't go in one of those church tribe groups. Okay. Um, because that's, you know, uh, you don't want to be around those Christian people for sure. And they know that their plan is to isolate and dominate you. If they can isolate you, it's like the wolves will get one little lamb isolated from the herd and they kill that lamb and eat that lamb. They're trying to get your keys through isolation. Here's another one. What I'm going to call, and this is prominent now, spirit of offense. Have you noticed since the pandemic how offended everyone is at everything? And so what they want to do, particularly the people that are spiritual leaders in your life or your spiritual friends that love the Lord and trying to walk with Jesus, and they're going to bring up any little offense and you're going to have these thoughts shot into your head. Well, she doesn't really care about you or he's a hypocrite or um, he said this and he must believe in this or he likes masks or he doesn't like masks or vaccines. You see how they keep going? And they're dividing people and they're creating this spirit of offense. And if you go to Matthew 18, you can look at the word for offense and it's this Greek word, scandalon, and it means like the trigger on a trap. Have you ever seen a mouse trap? And you know the little trigger part that you put the cheese on or you put the bait on? That is what offense is. And they're trapping people like little mice through offense. And look, as the family of God, let's be a little tolerant of each other. Let's be a people of peace. Let's be a people that have a little thicker skin than to be, you know, offended by every little thing that everyone says, you see. And the reason is it keeps us from being trapped by the enemy, the spirit of offense. So these are temptations. And remember, the the, the demons come and tempt us when we have too high a view of ourselves. But then they also come as accusers. And they come to you as an accuser when you have a too, too low of a view of yourself. And what they're trying to hide from you is your position in Christ. They're trying to hide from you all the benefits of the cross and the filling of the Holy Spirit. They want to hide all that from you so you don't know the power that you have in Christ. And here's the way this is going to sound. They're going to say things like, hey, you know, look at all those other women online. They're so much more attractive than you are. And that means you're not enough. You ladies ever hear that one? Or 
men, look at that guy's truck. It's way better than your truck. Look at that guy's income level. He's way more successful than you are. You're just not enough. Your friend didn't text you back after an hour and a half, and you know what that means. Your friend didn't text you back because your friend doesn't really like you anyway. Everybody hates you. Nobody likes you. You might as well eat some worms. See? You hear any of this stuff? For this is the accusers. They're accusing you of being less than than what you are in Christ. They want to make you feel rejected. Here's one of the things they'll say to you is that, hey, you're a Christian and you knew better than what you just did. Do you really think God loves you and is going to take you back after what you just did? I mean, it'd be one thing if it was someone that doesn't know anything about God, but you knew better. You must not even really be a child of God. And you're getting quiet because I asked me how I know about these lies because they've shot them into me. I, I, I deal with the same stuff you do. And it's this covert attack of the enemy. This is spiritual warfare of the accuser. So they know us. They've observed human behavior over thousands of lives, uh, uh, thousands of lifetimes and, and, and years and years of history. And they've seen all that you've gone through and they know all your wounds and they know your buttons to push and they know when you're vulnerable. They know when you get tired and you're almost out of energy. They know when you've been agitated by the demon that manifests through another person in some way. But look, we have a great weapon and that's the good news today. Um, our greatest weapon over the temptations and the accusations is the cross, the cross. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter two, verse 13. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you what? Alive with Christ for he forgave. How many of your sins? Part of them? No, all of them. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. So when the accuser comes to bring charges against you, no charges against me, bro. You just got to read Colossians chapter two. And he canceled the record of those charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You know that when Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to that cross, every single charge against you was nailed there too. It was placed upon Jesus. And then look at that next sentence. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on what? The cross. That's why we gave you communion kits today. We're going to take communion. And I want to tell you why. Communion reminds us of what was accomplished on the cross. Communion is warfare. Every time you take communion, it's doing spiritual warfare. So what I'd like you to do now is carefully take just the clear part of the tab there and open it to expose the, the bread there and take that little wafer and go ahead and eat it. 
And as you take that, you're doing spiritual warfare and you're saying, Jesus, I remember. I remember you and what you did. That's why we don't just take communion once and we're good. We take it from time to time to remind us Jesus allowed his body to be broken. And as you take that bread right now, just go ahead and eat it and say, Jesus, I remember your body was broken for me and my sin on the cross. The cross. Now take the other part of your communion kit, and this is going to be the, the other tab where you open it, and that'll open up. Be careful so you don't accidentally spill juice on yourself. But the juice represents his blood. Go ahead and drink that now, if you hadn't already. And as you drink it, as we drink this before you, God, we're just saying we remember how Jesus allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed to forgive our sin and to overcome and disarm all of our spiritual enemies. So we take in the victory of the cross through Jesus. So since you've taken communion as an act of warfare, go ahead and bow your heads now and let me say a prayer on our behalf. Collectively, we command demon spirits to leave in the name and the authority of the one true God who rules as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You demons are unwanted intruders who must leave. We're taking back our keys. Somebody say, I'm taking back my keys. We establish our authority over demons, which is delegated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We command the strong man holding highest authority in or on each person to be bound along with all your subordinates. You demons will not speak. You will not have any outside help or reinforcement. There will be one-way traffic for demons to go from here to the pit. You will not in any way bother anyone else anywhere at any time, especially those in this room and their families. You will not enter or harass any other person. There will be no control of the mind, confusion of the mind, confusion of the tongue or body. There will be no harm done to anyone here in any way. Demons, you will take all your associates and collective works and effects with you as you leave here. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask you and the holy angels to rule over all evil spirits here and force them to leave before the throne of the Lord God Almighty. We claim protection from and authority over all demons. We're taking back our keys. Somebody say, I'm taking back my keys. We're taking back those keys that we've given to demons as we confess our sin and repent. We cancel all their works and effects and cast them away to the pit for judgment by God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to reclaim all the keys we gave away and we ask you to rule in every area of our lives. Holy Spirit, give us a fresh filling now. Say, fill us, Holy Spirit. Just sit still for just a minute in quiet before the Lord. Be still and know that I'm God, he says.
and receive a filling of peace from the Holy Spirit. You've been at war all week, some of you. Just be still, abide in Jesus. You may just repeat in your mind, fill me, Holy Spirit, and receive filling as we're quiet for just a moment. fill us Holy Spirit fill in the places that were anxiety with peace someone's going to feel so much peace you might even fall asleep right in church places where you took out a disease or a sickness fill it with healing in someone's heart and mind Jesus, where you just extracted depression from someone, fill them with joy. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where you just, you know, extracted a spirit of like melancholy or sadness. I pray that someone would be filled with like joy and gladness right now that so much so they just smile right where they're at because we have such a good God. We thank you for what you're doing in our individual lives. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church during this series. And we give you credit, glory, and honor, Jesus, and praise because of what you're doing. And we pray all these things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, everyone said, amen. Would you guys join me in thanking the Lord for how good he's been to us today? Man, thank you, God. Receive gladness and joy. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. So next week, we're going to continue in this spiritual warfare series in a service about authority. Now, some of you have been trained in religious environments to think you have to come here and get my, you know, you have to receive my authority. It's like, you can't deal with demons. You know, you have a night terror. You have, you know, you experience something. You're like, I better go down there and talk to Pastor Doug so he can get it out. I'm not here for you to, you know, just get everything from me, my authority. I'm here to empower you with your authority. See, you don't, you don't, you're not gonna need me. It's gonna be sad for me. You don't, you don't need me anymore. But look, you don't. Because you have authority, and that's what we're going to show you next week. We're going to empower you with your authority and your identity in Christ. So make sure and come on back for that one next Sunday. Also, I want to mention our prayer leaders. Now, if you prayer leaders could make your way to the front somewhere down here, in the front somewhere. Um, I see Sarah over there. Would you guys join me in giving some love to our prayer leaders and prayer team? Man, they so faithfully serve and love us. 
Right on. And uh, this is kind of the head honcho of prayer here, and others are um, coming in. If you need prayer after the service, man, they, um, they ain't afraid of no ghosts. So you come on down, and uh, they'll pray with you at the conclusion of the service that that'd be helpful for you. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention to you to avoid that uh, spirit of isolation, if you're not already involved in some type of a group or tribe or whatever, check out some of the ones available that have tables outside today and they'd be happy to get you involved in one of the groups there. And um, one last reminder as we think about giving in church and if you're new to church, you know, if you're a guest or whatever, we're not like after your money, you can skip this part of it. But if you're um, a regular here and a part of the tribe, um, we see tithing as spiritual warfare as well. If you were to look back at the ancient prophet Malachi, he talks about this devourer that when people weren't stewarding their resources well, um, the devourer would come and eat their crops, but basically steal from them. And we think it's, you know, different times, same old demons that want to, you know, eat away at your crops and uh, basically destroy and devour your resources. But uh, obviously we got to be responsible with our resources and all of that and not go into crazy credit card debt and all that kind of stuff. But God says, hey, let's, let's just steward those resources well and invest it in the things that are uh, important to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And one of those is the ministries of City Tribe Church and the people that are being helped in recovery, the people that are being helped in student ministry and children learning the word of God, people coming to faith in Jesus, the poor being served here in San Antonio and other parts of the world. And so there are four ways that we take up the offerings since we don't pass the chicken buckets or anything. So you can mail your offerings in, you can text to tithe, you can go to the giving stations located near the exits of the theater, or you can just go to our website, citytribe.church, and hit that uh, tithe uh, link. So let's stand up together before you guys worship through your financial stewardship. Join hands with someone next to you if you're comfortable to do that. Um, don't be a creeper on someone, anyone. So um, if someone puts up the boundary, respect it. But if not, join hands. And uh, man, you guys are beautiful. And I want you to make a declaration to say, say I'm taking back my keys. Good. So, dear brothers and sisters, as you leave from this place, may you walk from here holding those keys, handing your keys to Jesus alone. May you walk from here taking back the keys and then also showing others how they can get their keys back in lordship of Jesus Christ. You guys go from here as spiritual warriors. You're blessed. We'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.